You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. The money was just burning a hole in Bill Belichick's pocket. He had to spend it, and as fast as possible. Opinionated. Of all the stopgap quarterbacks, Cam Newton was the best choice for the Patriots. Kudos to them getting it right. To the point. Socks will be better. They're still finishing in fourth. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back into the Brady Farkas Show on a Thursday. We weren't anticipating being here for a full day today, but here we are. Red Sox home opener, Red Sox opener overall for the 2021 season. Rained out. That means we'll come back. We'll do it all again at Fenway Park tomorrow. We'll have the coverage for you tomorrow at 110-210 with the first pitch. Nathan Evaldi and John Means on the mound. You know, No one wanted to believe me. I told Lee this yesterday during the midday news service that this was my fear. I feared that this game was going to get rained out. It was my fear for a couple of reasons, mainly because of the pandemic. Major League Baseball does not want players and coaches and personnel in the clubhouse just waiting out rain. They can't afford, health and safety-wise, to have a group of 40 by the time you put in all the coaches and all the players They can't afford to have that amount of people huddled in together to the clubhouse for multiple hours. They just can't. And I know the forecast in Boston was bad. It ended up maybe not being as bad as they thought. But they had the off day built into the schedule tomorrow. They had the day available. They do not want to risk guys being around each other for that long. They just don't. So I'm 100% okay with the rain out. Even if the weather, you know, I saw Lou Merloni and others tweeting, hey, it's not even raining, it's not even raining, what are we doing? They're trying to keep people apart, and that's the reason. And also, you had the, like I said, you had the open day in the calendar, and there's only 4,500 fans allowed at Fenway. It's a lot easier to screw with 4,500 people's plans than 38,000. If there was 38,000 fans there, even with COVID, Maybe they maybe they bring you to the ballpark and they try to kind of eh, okay we'll see what's up. Forty five hundred they say you know what we're not screwing too many people's plans we're just going to cancel it we're going to cancel it early we don't bring people to the ballpark they also don't want fans hanging out in the concourse around each other either so they keep the fans separated from the concourse they keep the players and coaches from gathering in the clubhouse it's more COVID safe they had the day built in to the schedule. It just makes sense. It made sense. Look, I wanted baseball today more than anybody, but it just made sense. So we'll do it all again tomorrow with the Red Sox. We'll have it for you again. 110, first pitch, 210. On the plus side today, we do get a full 90-minute show here. We'll actually have a rare two-guest show today. Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston with us, as he always is, at 545. And then we'll hear from Catamount men's hockey coach Todd Woodcroft at about 630 as we put a bow on the 2020-21 season. Certainly a trying one in a lot of ways for the Catamounts. As always, you can get in on the text line, 802-585-3026. It's all thanks to your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. And I've got people texting in now. This is why I hate April Fool's. I hate April Fool's Day 
because I am too gullible. I am way too gullible. There's reports out there today that Julian Edelman was traded from the Patriots to the Buccaneers for a third-round pick. I think Edelman even put out a picture of himself in like a, or put out a picture of the Pirates of the Caribbean or something, fueling the speculation. That is an April Fool's joke. Julian Edelman is still a member of the Patriots. But I, too, am gullible, and I hate April Fool's Day because I end up believing like three-quarters of this stuff. It took me searching on Twitter, Julian Edelman, just to verify that it wasn't real. So April Fool's Day is no good to me. So, um, again, if you want to text in, you can, 802-585-3026. I got to give a quick shout-out to the crew over at the Waterbury American Legion right across the street here from WDEV. The crew over there is doing their Thursday night dinner. I implore you to go pick it up today, to call it in, to pick it up there. They'll bring it out to you. It's pork roast with scalloped potatoes, green beans, a roll, chicken noodle soup, and all of it for under 15 bucks. Like, and it's legit. The crew brought it in here. I always thank them when they do that. I can't have it until 7 o'clock, but it smells delicious. So I implore you guys to go give them a call at the Waterbury American Legion. Okay, busy show, two guest day, so let's get to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. All right, the opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff in Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Swanton, Middlesex, and St. Albans, and online at sticksandstuff.com. You know, real quick, a thought here on opening day. This made my jaw drop to the floor. Like, this literally made my jaw drop to the floor. Kike Hernandez, who's going to play second base and hit leadoff for the Red Sox, has a top 10 selling jersey right now in all of Major League Baseball, and has a better-selling jersey than Mike Trout. Kike Hernandez, journeyman infielder, outfielder, utility player, has a better-selling jersey than Mike Trout. What is going on here? I had to do some serious research here to attempt to rationalize this because Mike Trout is the greatest player that I've ever really been able to see. Ken Griffey Jr. is my guy. Okay, I love Griffey. I was alive to appreciate him, but I was too young to really appreciate him in his, in his heyday. I was you know, less than 10 when Griffey was the best player on the planet. Mike Trout, I've been able to see through his entire career. Mike Trout is the best player that I've ever gotten to see in his prime and actually memorize it. And Kike Hernandez has a better selling jersey than Mike Trout does. Mookie Betts is one. Cody Bellinger's two. Fernando Tatis Jr., three, Bryce Harper, four, Clayton Kershaw, five. And there's Kike Hernandez at number nine and Mike Trout at number 10. I, as ridiculous as that sounds, again, I attempted to rationalize this. I believe this is over the last year. So Hernandez has had the benefit of playing in two of the biggest media markets in the country. He played for the Dodgers. Huge media market, huge fan base, and now with the Red Sox. So he's at least got the benefit there of two fan bases that are fervent about baseball to buy his jersey. When you talk about jersey sales, it also helps that Hernandez has changed teams, right? So maybe some people bought a Dodger jersey, getting ready for the World Series, or maybe after the World Series, and then now people are buying Red Sox jerseys. Maybe you can make the case 
anybody who's got a trout jersey, anybody who wanted a trout jersey already has one. Like maybe you can say that, but you know, that would also be the case for Clayton Kershaw, who's number five. So I mean, you know, that's not foolproof logic, but I mean, there's gotta be some something here to the Dodgers, by the way, and their widespread reach. Because Betts is one, Bellinger's two, Kershaw's five, and then there's Hernandez at nine. A lot of people with Dodgers ties here, I think their fan base has to play a huge part in the, the apparent popularity of their players, but of Kike Hernandez specifically. There's also the angle that Kike Hernandez is Puerto Rican, so you're drawing when he's playing in Los Angeles on a heavy Latin influence there. And then there's a heavy Hispanic population in the country as a whole. So maybe Kike Hernandez gets some jersey sales because of his heritage. I, I mean, so I suppose you can rationalize this a bit if you really strain to. But, like, my goodness, how is Mike Trout less famous, apparently, than Kike Hernandez? That is absolutely absurd to me. Like, Mike Trout is apparently less famous than Kike Hernandez. Kike Hernandez is, you know, a career 240 hitter. And while I think he's going to be better than those projections for this year, like we talked about yesterday, he's a career 240 hitter. And he's got a better jersey, you know, better selling jersey than the best player that I've ever seen. Um, and, it, you know, the real question here isn't even about Hernandez. It's about the continued ability or inability of baseball to market Mike Trout. Real quick, guys, let me get to it. Let me get a uh, Tell the Truth Thursday on this. Now we're really going to get down to business. Why is Mike Trout not more famous? The simple answer is that he doesn't want to be, and we just have to be okay with that because there are plenty of athletes that are constantly out there, right? Baker Mayfield, Damian Lillard, Giannis. Those athletes haven't ever won the big one. And, you know, there's always, though, even though the commercials are funny, there's always an element of, Hey, Baker, a little less progressive commercial and a little more winning. There's always, hey, a little, hey, Bryce Harper, a little more not hitting 240, a little less Dick Sporting Goods. Trout has just like, and we, we tell those guys to go away from the spotlight and just focus on their craft. Well, you can't have it both ways. Trout's never won anything, and he dedicates, him to him, dedicates himself to his craft, and now he's the bad guy because he's not out there more. You can't have it both ways. If Baker, Lillard, and Giannis and Harper have to be less visible because they haven't won, then you can't be mad at Trout for being less visible and just focusing. There's nothing wrong with that. It would be good for baseball if Mike Trout wanted to be Bryce Harper. If Mike Trout wanted to be Ken Griffey Jr., that would be good for baseball. But for Mike Trout, Mike Trout is still doing okay. He's going to have made $600 million or more, definitely more, in just salary alone, fully guaranteed. Then he does have endorsement deals. He's got multiple MVPs. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he's going to be in the inner circle of the Hall of Fame. Like There's the Hall of Fame, and there's the private room in the Hall of Fame, and that's where Trout's going to be. So this idea that, you know, oh, baseball does an awful job marketing Trout. No, Trout does an awful job marketing Trout, but we have to be okay with that. That is what he has chosen. We tell athletes all the time to be less visible and just play. And now we're mad at Trout for being less visible and just playing. You cannot have it both ways. It's the Brady Farkas Show. Remind you to subscribe to the full show podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And uh, you can also check out our YouTube channel, which we are growing as well. All right, no baseball today. I was really hoping there was because if there was baseball, then I wouldn't have to talk about the Boston Celtics, who have just been atrocious, and they lost again last night. 
What do we think the new problem is? Or is it a, just the same problem they've always had? Celtics expert Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston. He's going to join us next right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Hi, this is Evan Hallstrom. I race super late models with the Pro All-Star Series. You can follow me throughout the summer racing up and down the East Coast. I've always loved auto racing. Not only do I drive the car, but I build it with my dad. We're a small family-run team that has a lot of fun. I'm proud of the work that I do with the Governor's Highway Safety Program and the Vermont Highway Safety Alliance. Remember, click it or ticket. Follow me on my Facebook page at Evan Hallstrom Racing and Twitter at EvanHMS1 or my website at EvanHallstromRacing.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Welcome back in, everybody. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Bad news today, no Red Sox baseball. Good news is full Brady Farkas Show and our usual Thursday conversation with Adam Kaufman, insider at uh, WBZ News Radio in Boston. Adam, how are you? See, I didn't even realize we were in danger of getting bumped today. What, well, what would have happened likely is uh, we would have done the interview before mm. the game, and then I would have played it on the podcast channel in full and taken bits and pieces of it for the show. But now we just get it much easier on everyone's accounts. So the Red Sox really, or maybe Mother Nature, depending on who you want to credit, just really <laughs> accommodated you. Yes, absolutely. Um, other than the <laughs> fact that I'm a baseball fan and I was hoping for baseball today. Are you an opening day guy? I, I don't trust anyone who isn't an opening day person, <laughs> you know, right? I mean, look, it, say what you want about about baseball and and obviously how long the season is and and how you know sort of slow monotonous it can be the the doldrums of summer at, at points in time but I mean if you if any part of you grew up a baseball fan you like truly a fan not just like oh it's nice background noise when the weather's nice like truly grew up a fan and enjoyed sit even if you can't right now stomach the idea of watching a three and a half or four hour nine inning game if once upon a time when you were a kid, you did, and you like going out to the ball game, like opening day is just, it's as much about nostalgia as anything yeah. else, not to mention just the turning of seasons and you know winter's behind you, even despite what we've uh, seen earlier today with uh, Miggy Cabrera getting the, the first home run of the season through the snow, which was just a, a, a weird visual. But opening days, it's there's a pageantry to opening day. I love opening day. I'm all about I- it. I love opening day, too. You're right. It's very, very corny, but it's romantic and sentimental and all that stuff. Opening day is truly the best. Sox will do it tomorrow against the Orioles. You know, we have this conversation every year about the marketing of baseball players, right? And I was astounded to see that Kike Hernandez has a better-selling jersey than Mike Trout does. But at some point, though, I think fans are hypocrites, just in the sense that, like, Baker May Baker Mayfield's always on TV and everyone's like, win something before you go all over the place and market yourself. Trout has just decided, you know what? I haven't won anything. I'm going to put my head down, work as hard as I can, become the best player I can be. And we're crushing him for not being more out there. Like, I don't know what people want from Trout. Like, it would be good for baseball if you wanted to market himself. But I think Trout is doing just fine. Well, I think the unfortunate thing. So, I mean, who are your faces in Major League Baseball right now? Obviously, Mookie Betts, who has that number one selling jersey. Certainly, Fernando Tatis Jr. has emerged and has become one of those guys. And with that giant contract, might even be that guy if we're talking about it, 
you know, months or a year from now, some would already anoint him that person. There are some others as well, some really, you know, good, young, talented players. But obviously there's, you know, if, if like there's no question then, and, and this is just right now, right? Because like bets maybe Tatis way too young who will yeah. see like the track record's not there but right now just looking at at the numbers and the individual accomplishments not team accomplishments individual accomplishments like Mike Trout is one of the he's not like a generational great he's one of the all-time greats yeah. like Mike Trout might be better than Mickey Mantle and you know so many others that have come before him like Mike Trout it's 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 it, it's unfortunate that he gets wasted in in L.A. You know the the way that he is, and you know he doesn't get totally lost the way that even Griffey could have once upon a time. You know pre social media because you know now that stuff doesn't matter. Like if you know West Coast East Coast, like it's it's just not as significant anymore. There isn't there's still an East Coast bias, but it's not the same as it once was because all of that stuff, you know, information and videos and highlights, and it's all available to you in ways like never before now. But to your point about Mike Trout, unfortunately, while he absolutely could just pure talent and ability wise be the face of baseball. And, and really to me with, with no immediate contender, like he could be that guy, like yeah. imagine if Mike Trout had like Bryce Harper's swagger, like yeah. Mike Trout could absolutely be the, the sole individual look at me face of major league baseball and everybody would be good with that the problem is as far as we know and i don't know mike trout on any sort of personal level there's nothing interesting about him like the most interesting thing we know about mike trout is like he's a big fan of weather you know we, <laughs> like, we don't know anything and i'm not even being facetious like that's that's just a fact like he's like a he like loves the weather channel like there's we don't know anything about mike trout we can tell you all about mookie betts and all of his athletic, uh, you know, endeavors elsewhere and what a great bowler he is. Yeah. And, and, you know, like Mookie, what a cool name and all that, all that's, we can't tell you anything about Mike Trout. No question. We've been talking about it for years. Major league baseball has a huge marketing issue. Didn't have that during the steroid era. You know, the home run chase certainly didn't have it during Griffey's day. Like Griffey, in addition to being an all-time great was also probably the best marketer in the, in the history yeah. of major league baseball in terms of all the different, you know, stuff that he reached and continues to reach all these years into retirement and, and now being a Hall of Famer. And uh, I'd love to see Mike Trout be that guy. I, I want to see Mike Trout doing more than just appearing in a random subway commercial, but he just, he doesn't want to do it. Well, you can't see it right now, but I do have my Mariners hat on and my Griffey oh, jersey. I, I, saw, my, I saw the jersey. And my Griffey jersey. So I'm ready for Mariners opening day, you know, 31 years and counting of Mariners disappointment sent to commence <laughs> here in a couple of hours. We're talking with Adam Kaufman. WBZ News Radio in Boston. Speaking of disappointment, the Celtics. So it seems to be, a, it's a, um, I think Brad Stevens called it a recurring script yesterday. Get down yeah. big early, mm -hmm. come back big late, end up falling short. It just seems like Brad Stevens is running out of answers at the podium now. Well, on the plus side, that's about as heated as I think we've ever heard Brad after that loss to the Magic, or rather Mavericks last night, you know, and and yeah, Luka went off and there's only so much you can do to contain Luka Doncic. That wasn't the problem. The problem was, like you said, the recurring script, the the quit, the the mentality problem. Like I've it just it it makes me sort of think of uh, I'm going to drill this down in the absolute simplest terms. I said this earlier on my podcast this morning, the I can go out in the yard with my eight year old who 
for an eight-year-old, it's a pretty good little athlete. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying like he's the next Mike Trout or anything <laughs> like that, but like he's, he's you know, pretty good little eight-year-old. Yeah. But his biggest problem, and I tell him this all the time, is what's in between the years. It's not ability. It's what's in between the years. If I am pitching a ball to him and he misses, you know, swings and misses at the first three, I know that I'm going to put the next 15 by him because he doesn't know how to just, just, you know, shake it off. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's not there yet in, in his own individual development. Well, that's what we're seeing at, at obviously a much, a much higher, more significant level with these Boston Celtics. For some reason, these guys, they fall behind. Brad talked about it. They get down big and they can't just live in the moment, move on to the next play, shake it off. They just, that, that ability for some reason for them is not there. And they are playing so far below what their talent level is. And yeah, inconsistency comes into play. And, and, you know, we haven't even really, we haven't seen their full roster, their full lineup even once this year. And it's April 1st. So injuries and, and COVID and load management with Kemba and, and different things, you know, it's, it's all played into it. No question. But at a certain point in time, you are just excuse making and ignoring the real problems and the real problem whether it comes back to Brad not being enough of a motivator or the players themselves not having enough pride on the floor. But for some reason, what's going on between the years that nobody can get a handle on, you know, the players, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, others, they, they were asked about a post game. You know, what is it about this year? You guys have largely the same crew as last year, you know, a little yeah. bit of turnover. Sure. But you have largely the same group in terms of your figureheads. And you're, you're not even resembling that team that went to the conference finals with the way, never mind wins and losses, just the way you're playing on the floor, your attitude on the floor, you know, your your intensity on the floor, your give a bleep meter that I talk to you all the time about. Mm-hmm. It's not there. Why? They didn't have an answer. They don't have an answer. And until they figure it out, they're just going to be this very average, as Brad said, or very mediocre team that coast to the play in tournament and gets knocked out in the opening round. And, and it's just, it's, it's very difficult to watch. You know, you said it multiple times on this show and, you know, it's easy, right? It's low hanging fruit to say the Celtics aren't playing good defense, but the more I break that down and the more I think about it, like you're so right from a couple of different senses. Like one, it's hard to win giving up 122 points a game, you know, or 122 points in a game. And the other thing is like, I think the Celtics are probably at their best, like most teams are when they can play fast and play in transition and play mm-hmm. a fun brand of basketball. It's really hard to do that when you're constantly playing in the half court and taking the ball out from underneath your own net and having to walk it up the floor. And we, t- we hear a lot about the Celtics isolation and hero ball. Well, yeah. you get a lot more hero ball when you, by the time you bring it up the court, you've only got 14 seconds left to go. They need better defense solely so they can translate to better offensive play. I think. Well, and you know, I, my, co-host Evan Valenti on on my show earlier said that and and he's right it's this team you know even when they weren't as talented defensively you know think back to like the Isaiah Thomas teams you know they they at least played good defense as a unit if if not always to a man as a unit this team you know Jalen Brown's a very good defender. Marcus Smart's an all NBA first team defender. They have other good role players who are good defenders. Even if they're not going to give you a billion points, they're good defenders. Jason Tatum last year, great defender. He's taken steps back this year, whether because he doesn't care, or it's not his focus, or he's more concerned with offense or whatever it is. It has not been 
the collective team defense has not been there this year. You can see it in the metrics. You can see it in the advanced analytics. You can see it with your freaking eyes on the floor. They just, they're not going out there and doing their job. And it's like I said, it's, it's incredibly difficult to watch. It's incredibly frustrating and defense as much as it is ability is effort. And this team is not on the regular putting the effort out there. Occasionally you see those games against Milwaukee, the game that they did win there where like everything's clicking, everything's in line, everything feels good. But those games are just so few and far between this year that there's, there's no reliability to this squad. Like I'd love to say they can make a deep playoff run. Well, you know, I, I, I do think they, they have the talent to, go on a deep playoff run in the East, but what they don't have is the mental makeup or, or, you know, defensive fortitude to go out there and do it. And until something changes. And again, April 1st, I don't know how you can't be uh, just perplexed by what the move is going forward. And, and yeah, like people are pointing fingers on social media for good reason. This is going to come off far more arrogant than I intended to, but like, I'm 31 years old. If I'm playing pickup hoops with a bunch of 47-year-olds, I don't play a whole lot of defense. And the reason why is, like, I just think I'm going to score eight points here. If I give up six, no big deal. I'm still going to do my part. Do you think that's how the Celtics play? You know, they look at it and say, Tatum's going to score 32. I can give up 27, no big deal. And eventually it just snowballs to where you can't outscore your opponent like you think you can. I think it's maybe, but but I think if – I think it's even more so, and I'm not the first to say this, just the level of entitlement for this group, you know, like so much so for for young players, too. And and yeah, there's a track record there of going to the East Finals three out of the last four years for this team and and, you know, a good amount of success early on in their career, some of them. But at the same time, they just they they play like they deserve things like they're you know, they're everything should be coming easier. They're getting disrespected on a nightly basis by the officials. They're not getting the calls. They're, you know, giving up points in transition the other way because two guys are back whining, you know, wondering why they didn't get a call. There's just, there's so much complaining and, and, you know, not enough just owning whatever happens and moving on. Like I said, shaking it off to the point where it's, it's, really become detrimental to any level of success like that was an incredibly winnable game last night you know don't fall behind by 23 points in the third quarter and guess what you got a chance to win that game and it's you know you can point to there have just been problems everywhere right like people want to drill down on all those third quarters oh those fourth quarters oh you know there some of the second quarters have been slow have you seen how they started off the game in the first quarters it's it's everywhere like it's, it's game long and it's just a different story every night it's there. There are so many issues with this team and and a large part of it. Yeah. Is on Danny Ainge. It's roster construction. But beyond that, um, you know, they they need more out of the coach, too. He's got to get them in a place to succeed. He's got to get his guys defending when for some reason they're not. He's got to get them moving the ball and getting out of ISO when it's so clear Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum don't trust anybody else on the floor. That's a problem. And I, I just don't, I don't know how you cure it. And I don't think the answer is getting a new coach in there. You know, maybe a, a veteran NBA player, you know, who's maybe a little more fiery than, than Evan Turner on the bench as an assistant coach, but you, you gotta, you gotta find a way to reach these young stars and, and if Brad isn't the guy to do that, it doesn't mean he has to go, but it does mean he's got to have someone on the staff like a Walter McCarty years back who's been through the rigors of being an NBA player, which Brad, you know, hasn't and wasn't 
to get that message across. And I, I don't know how that happens. Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston. You can check out his podcast. He referenced a couple of times. Celtics Beat is the podcast. So it's a great uh, podcast host over there talking all things green. Although, as much as we don't want to listen, Adam at least makes it uh, more um, more palatable to, palatable, to think about yeah, the Celtics. Probably so, the way to put it. so you can check that out. Adam, we appreciate it, man. Enjoy uh, opening day part two tomorrow for the Sox. We'll talk to you again next week. All eyes on them. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Adam Coffin, one of the best. Love having him on every single weekday. I'm sorry, every single weekday, I wish. Every single Thursday right here on WDEB as he's with us at 545. So uh, if you miss any of the interview, the guys will have it up on the uh, podcast show channel at uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. What we'll do, we'll step aside, we'll get an update from CBS News nationally, we'll cut up the Adam Coffin interview, get to some of our takeaways there. But I watched Cam Newton's new television show yesterday. I watched the online version of it. I got to say, I liked it. I liked what Cam Newton and Steve Harvey had to say yesterday. I'll give you my takeaways from what we saw and what it means about Cam and his future. That's all coming up next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and always streaming worldwide on the free WDEV radio app. If you don't have it yet, go get it in the Apple Store or the Google Play Store, the WDEV app, green with the WDEV writing. This next, right here, WDEV. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast, brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center, with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Reminder, tomorrow, shorter show. I can only presume Red Sox baseball, 210 first pitch. Should go till about 515. Then we'll see the postgame show. I should be back on sometime around 545. So we will uh, have a recap of opening day. So that's uh, tomorrow right here on DEV. The show brought to you in part by Evan Holstrom Racing. Evan Holstrom, an 18-year-old rider in the Super Late Model Series out of Northfield, Vermont. And he's going to be taking center stage this weekend at the Hickory Motor Speedway, the Easter Bunny Double Event on the Asphalt Super Late Models. So it kicks off this Friday. So uh, tomorrow, the... Easter Bunny double event. Hard to believe the racing season is upon us. I had a chance to speak with Mike Stridesberg over at the ACT. He's going to be uh, going to put that up on the podcast channel tomorrow as well. So kind of get your uh, palate ready for the uh, the weekend's action. Now they're at the historic Hickory, North Carolina Speedway. It's the birthplace of the NASCAR stars, and Evan Holstrom is going to be there. He's got a full racing schedule this year. You can follow him online at evanholstromracing.com. He's going to be at Hickory. Then he's going to be at New Hampshire Motor Speedway up in Loudoun on the 16th and 17th. Oxford up in Maine on the 25th of April. So he is everywhere. He loves to work on the cars himself. Loves It's a family affair. Him and his dad do it together. 18 years old. One of the top drivers in Vermont. One of the top racers in Vermont. And certainly uh, part of a new class of driver coming up through the ranks. So wishing Evan good luck this weekend down in North Carolina. We're about 25 minutes away, 6.30-ish. Todd Woodcroft is going to join us, the UVM men's hockey coach. I had a chance yesterday to watch some of Cam Newton's new show on BET. It was called Smoke and Sip, and Cam's a huge cigar buff. Like, that's his thing is cigars. So basically the format of the show is he brings on a guest, and 
they talk over a cigar and an alcoholic drink. Cam had a bottle, of, you know, had a glass of wine. Steve Harvey was the guest. He had a bottle of scotch, I believe. Not bottle, but he had a glass of scotch, I believe. Um, I believe it is on actual television on BET. I watched it on YouTube this morning. I got to say, I, I enjoyed this. It was only 15 minutes long, by the way. So if anybody was in the camp like, hey, Cam needs to focus more on football, this was 15 minutes. Now, his overall time commitment was probably two or three hours, but this is not anything that's going to take away from his football ability. So just if you have that take, just stop with that. You can text in at 802-585-3026 on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. I enjoyed the show. I enjoyed Cam's ability to be a host. Like, you know, we see Cam in interviews, and he's great at answering questions. He had good questions. He was leading the interview. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a cool side of Cam to get to see him be the guy getting the answers rather than giving the answers. So Smoke and Sip was the show. It was on BET. I watched it on YouTube this morning. And I got a couple of takeaways from it. When Cam Newton is done playing football, I don't think he's going to be somebody that goes into sports broadcasting or becomes a sports analyst. Back in December on the podcast on the podcast channel, I had a sports media expert from Barrett Sports Media named Dimitri Ravenos on, and he said he thought Cam would be great doing college football analysis. In a couple of years, Cam should go to ESPN, where they got the SEC TV deal coming up soon, and Cam should be the face of the SEC on ESPN. I Look, I don't doubt he'd be good at that, but I think Cam's going way beyond sports when he's done playing. Like To me, he is much more motivational speaker than he is sports analyst when he's done. The more I hear Cam talk, and I've listened to Cam more in the last eight months than I've ever listened to Cam before in my life, Cam has a higher calling in life. And I think he thinks he has a a higher calling in life. He loves football. That's evident. He loves athletics. But Cam is much, much deeper than that. And Cam really does have a desire to, you know, listen to him talk, to inspire, to empower and to give back to his community. And and I don't think that he thinks he'll be able to do that if he's just pigeonholed into a sports-only role. I think Cam Newton is going to be somebody who hits the circuit and is out there speaking to people. And maybe it's in Atlanta where he you know where he's based. Maybe it's all over the South. Maybe it's all over the country. I don't know. But Cam Newton, I think, is going to be much, much bigger in terms of his purpose than analyzing college football. And I'm sure he'd be good at that, too. But I think Cam Newton is going to, you know, I, I just see much more than sports from him. Now, Tim Tebow has found a way to do all of the extra higher calling stuff while also doing sports. So I don't doubt that Cam could do it. But I don't think that Cam wants to pigeonhole himself into that. Like, Charles Barkley is a great basketball personality. And he's a great basketball ambassador. But I just think that Cam is working to embody the more-than-an-athlete mantra of 2021. The more I hear him talk, Cam's really smart, he's really philosophical, and again, he's really into giving back. I just think he wants to spread his wings much more than sports would allow him to. And and maybe I'm wrong, but I heard Cam on a podcast recently called Serendipity with Inky Johnson, and Cam was answering the questions, but he was really, really deep. You know, went deep inside his own life and inside his own mind on that. The 
uh, I Am Athlete podcast, which was about sports in a lot of ways, but Cam touched on other things there in the Brandon Marshall podcast a couple of weeks ago. And now this, just the last three things I've heard Cam talk about, and obviously it's out of season, so I'm not going to hear Cam talk, you know, he's not going to be saying uh, red, right, 25 drag. But just the more I hear Cam talk, just the deeper and deeper and deeper I think that he is. So Steve Harvey was his first guest on this show. And I remember Steve Harvey growing up from the Steve Harvey show. And now, you know, or, or maybe more recently is the host of Family Feud. Like Steve Harvey has had a great career in TV and comedy and, you know, has been on television for a long time. He gave Cam a piece of advice, which I thought was really interesting on the show. Well, I mean, the first thing that's kept me relevant for so long is authenticity. Mm-hmm. I think you can't be in, the, in front of the camera for a sustained period of time and not be authentic. Right. Because you can't fake the funk, but for so long. Authenticity is the best thing you could do. You just got to be calm no matter what. Mm -hmm. Now, that's going to come back to bite you sometimes. Right. Because everybody don't want the real Cam Newton all the time. I thought that was interesting advice, and I think Cam is trying to live by that. I don't know, and I'd be interested on the text line, 802-585-3026. I don't know that it's really and truly possible to ever be 100% unapologetically yourself. I don't know that that's possible, okay? But I do think Cam is trying to get there. I believe he compromised himself a bit in Foxborough, a bit, I think he conformed a bit. I think he was largely Cam, but I think he conformed a bit. I don't know that you can ever be truly and unapologetically 100% yourself. But by and large, I think Cam was Cam. He was a good leader. He was vulnerable. He was emotional in his play. He showed real signs of growth. And, you know, he was still him, though, in the way that he talked, how he talked, the way he acted, his outside interests, his fashion, all that. He was honest and transparent. Cam, I think was Cam in a lot of ways, but I do think he conformed a little bit to the Patriot way. So I don't think he was 100% unapologetically Cam, but I think he's trying to be someone that gets there. And I think Steve Harvey had good advice for all of us. Like at some point, being you does bite you. Like being unapologetically you does bite you. Cam has had slip-ups in the past that have cost him. Like a couple years ago, he questioned the female reporter's football knowledge, but I don't think that was a result of Cam being Cam. I just think that was a stupid comment. And, But there are absolutely people out there that don't like Cam's dialect. They don't like his fashion sense, celebrations, his hair, whatever. But Cam doesn't care about that stuff. And... You know, at least he's trying to not care about that. And I think we all strive for that kind of freedom. And I think Cam is striving for that freedom. We all want that kind of freedom to not care. But I, again, I don't know that we can ever truly get there. It is hard to be the real you all the time, isn't it? 802-585-3026, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterway text line. Can you ever be 100% of the time the real you? Because I don't know that you can. And... I feel it constantly. It's hard trying to be the real me constantly. You know, I'm a person who says that I don't care what other people think, but deep down, I I do. And I feel like, you know, I feel like I, at least, constantly have to change based on who I'm around or what I'm doing, right? Like, you're one way at home. You're one way at work. You're one way in front of the boss. You're one way in front of your parents. You're one way in front of the in-laws. I feel like there's 15 different Brady Farkases, and... 
if there's really only one Cam Newton or one Steve Harvey, then that's an unbelievable freedom that's incredibly admirable. But I don't know that you can ever be truly 100% you. I don't know that you can ever be truly 100% you. I think Cam is trying, though. And I think it's admirable that he's trying to get there because I don't know that I'll ever get there. You want to be you, but you know, you're also worried about, okay, does this person accept the real me? You know, the boss doesn't want me dropping F-bombs at my Mariners bullpen. The in-laws don't want you getting hammered around them. Like, can you ever be the real you around anybody except yourself? I don't know if you can. I mean, it's interesting. Steve Harvey says be authentic. I think Cam is authentic, and I think he tries to be 100% authentic, but can you ever be the real you? I think you always got to conform a little bit, and Cam, I think, conformed a little bit to the Patriot way. But one area where I can say that Cam is unapologetically himself is how he plays the position of quarterback. And I think he's been really clear in his desire to pave his own way. This was Cam last night on his show in his own words. They look at me. They look at what I wear. They look at how I talk. They look at how I look. And I used to always say to people, especially when I came into the league, it was like, you know, this is the blueprint, the Drew Brees, the Tom Brady's, the Peyton Manning's, the, these type of players, the Steve Young's, right? And, and for me, I was like, yeah, that's fine, but I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. A lot of those athletes, they're great in their own right, but in order for me to impact and empower my community, I need to be me. Yeah. For the kid that sees me being and doing the things that I'm doing and the things that I'm accomplished, they can be able to relate to it and say, man, Cam came out of these streets, I can come out of right. these streets. Cam is not those quarterbacks. Like, he's not Steve Young, and he's not Tom Brady, and he's not Drew Brees. I think, I think Michael Vick opened up the idea that a quarterback could be an athlete, right? Like, we've seen Fran Tarkenden, Randall Cunningham, Steve Young. We saw athletic quarterbacks before, but for this generation, for the Cam Newton generation, I think Michael Vick showed that you could be an athlete at the position. Like, you could have the freedom to just be athletic. But then Cam took the idea of the quarterback having a personality and took it to a level that we really haven't seen since really before my time. I think like Jim McMahon, I think, had a personality. And I wasn't alive for Jim McMahon in his heyday. I think Cam took the idea of a quarterback having a personality and took it to a level that we haven't seen. And then I think guys like Johnny Manziel, who displayed their personalities and developed it, I think they got their inspiration in large part from Cam. And Cam deserves a lot of credit as an innovator for how to handle yourself at the quarterback position because Cam is right. It had always been thought of that you had to be, as a quarterback, you had to be buttoned up. You had to be professional. You had to look and sound a certain way. And while Cam has had some bumps in the road, Cam has proven that you can be professional but in a different way than they were. Cam is incredibly professional, right? He, he says the right thing at the podium now later in his career handles his teammates appropriately, works with the coaching staff appropriately, is good in the offseason. Cam has shown every trait that Tom Brady or Drew Brees has. He just does it in different packaging. And I think it takes a lot of guts to be a trendsetter. And whether he intended to or not at the time, I think Cam Newton has been a trendsetter. And again, I enjoyed it. 15 minutes long, I'm going to watch the next one. So I'm interested in seeing what Cam has to say through the rest of the offseason. Okay. We just spoke with Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston. We talked about the Celtics, and here was Adam's thought after another loss yesterday against the Dallas Mavericks. Adam, 
talking a little bit about Brad Stevens. Whether it comes back to Brad not being enough of a motivator or the players themselves not having enough pride on the floor, but for some reason, what's going on between the ears that nobody can get a handle on, you know, the players, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, others, they, they were asked about a post game. You know, what is it about this year? You guys have largely the same crew as last year. You know, a little yeah. bit of turnover, sure, but you have largely the same group in terms of your figureheads. And you're, you're not even resembling that team that went to the conference finals. So we started out there in the clip talking about Brad Stevens. And and Adam also said that he doesn't think Brad Stevens needs to be fired. But he thinks they need a little more from Brad Stevens. I am going to ask Brad Stevens to do something I have never asked him to do. Never once have I asked Brad Stevens to do this. I'm going to ask him that now. I think Brad Stevens needs to snap. I don't think Brad Stevens needs to snap repeatedly. I don't think he needs to do it often. I think Brad Stevens needs to pick his spot, and I think he needs to do it one time. But Brad Stevens needs to snap, and he needs to make his point clear. Whether it's in the locker room or in a team meeting, I'm not quite sure where. He probably can't snap in an arena where there's minimal fans, unfortunately, because he can't embarrass the team with any earshots of the fans or the opponents. So it probably needs to be done behind closed doors. But Brad Stevens, for the first time, I'm going to ask him to snap, to show real emotion, and to get angry and get in people's faces. I've never asked him to do that, not once. I've had radio hosts that have said they dislike Brad Stevens' calm demeanor, they want to see him show more emotion, and I've always fought back on that. I love Brad Stevens' demeanor generally. I love a coach who understands the process is more important than a singular outcome. I love a coach that's not so hot under the collar all the time. I like a guy who doesn't put that kind of pressure on his team. And I like a guy who's more of a teacher than a yeller. You can call today's athlete soft, but today's athlete wants to be taught rather than yelled at. I like that Brad Stevens, that that is his way of doing business. I also appreciate that Brad Stevens recognizes the NBA is a player's league. And in a player's league, you cannot grate on the players. The quickest way to lose your players is to be a yeller, is to be too fiery all the time. Okay, Basketball is not football. These athletes in a player's league, they will not stand for that. So I like that Brad Stevens has a more delicate approach a lot of the time because it's what these players need. And selfishly for him, it's probably the quickest way to keep him on their good side because they don't want to be coached in the way you could be coached in the 70s. But I do think that Brad Stevens' soft nature and his ability to rationalize and talk through situations, I think now it's giving the Celtics an out. Because Brad Stevens can go to the podium and say, hey, we're close. Hey, we're, we're right there. Hey, we did this, this, and this well. But if we did that a little bit better, we would have won. The, the team hears that, and the team thinks they're close, and right now they're not. This team needs a attitude adjustment. It's not a little tweak. The team, they can't play defense. They, they can't play offense in transition because they can't stop anybody, so they're always taking the ball out from underneath their own, their own basket. Like Brad Stevens needs to get this team started on the attitude adjustment train, and he needs to change his attitude also. One time he needs to snap. Because what we're seeing right now is unacceptable. 
Unacceptable. Again, the team can't play defense. And when you can't play defense, like I just said, you can't play in transition, you can't play fast, and the offense can't flow. When you're constantly allowing points to be scored, and you have to take the ball out and go up 94 feet, you're always in the half court, and that's tougher. The ball stagnates, and the Celtics have a stagnant offense right now and a lack of ball movement. Luka Doncic last night, Luka's great. He had 24 points in the first half. He had 13 in the second quarter. They couldn't stop him. Dallas hit 13 threes in the first half. That is unacceptable. The Celtics have allowed 110 points or more in more than half of their games this season. That's the highest rate since 1978 and 79. The Celtics have allowed 110 points in 56% of their game, the highest rate since 78-79. It's unacceptable what the Celtics are putting out right now. And Brad Stevens is not the problem. And I don't know that any coach can be the sole solution. But Brad Stevens needs to change something up. And look, if you if you have a parent, let's just say that in your house, Mom's the good cop and dad's the bad cop, right? Mom is the soothing one. Dad is the is the disciplinarian. Well, dad's always getting on you, right? Dad's getting on you. Dad's getting on you. Well, I guess, what did I say the first? I guess maybe I switched it up. Let's just say dad's the bad cop. Dad's getting on you. Dad's getting on you. Dad's getting on you. You always run to mom, and mom always makes it better. Well, when mom yells at you, you know it's real. And you're like, whoa, even mom got mad at me. Brad Stevens needs to do that one time. You can't do it constantly because if you yell constantly, you get toned out. But one time, Brad Stevens needs to make his point known that it's unacceptable as to what we are seeing right now. This team has too much talent to be 23 and 25 and you know battling for the last seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. It's completely unacceptable. He doesn't have Brad Stevens doesn't have any responsibility for poor shooting, but. And he doesn't even have responsibility for a team's lack of effort. But go off one time and make it count. In the NBA, the coach shouldn't have to be the motivator. There's a whole lot of money motivating players. And that should be able to drive how players play. You know, money drives a lot. It should motivate these players also. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker all got max deals. They all need to step up. Marcus Smart has a $50 million contract. They all need to step up. And it's not always just more points. Sometimes it's just more effort and more heart, and the Celtics aren't showing it. Brad Stevens needs to step outside his comfort zone one time and just go off because the team deserves it. They're going to take on the Rockets tomorrow, and the Rockets are awful, and the Celtics should win. And even if they win, it doesn't make everything okay. But they better win because if they lost to Houston, the whole the, the Celtics world would fall apart. But the Seas need their coach to one time do something I've never asked. And that's go off. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is at uh, 802-585-3026. Eric in Waterbury says, yeah, Brady, you're right. The Celtics are embarrassing. I can't stand to see Stevens just sit there. Again, it's not just sitting there. I like Brad Stevens a lot. I think his demeanor is generally really, really good. But this time, he's got to switch it. Like, you can't coach basketball like you can coach football. And you can't even coach football anymore like you used to be able to coach football. Nick Saban gets away with it because he's in college and he's won so much. Bill Belichick gets away with it because he's won so much. Look at all the new coaches. They're all more guidance counselors than they are army generals. 
Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, these are nice guys that are guiding organizations through things. They are not just laying down the hammer. And you can't get away with that anymore. And Brad Stevens isn't that guy, and that's to be commended. But he needs to be that guy one time. Get one in from, uh, goes by Fish in uh, South Burlington. He says that um, Fish in South Burlington says, Brady, I don't know if the Celtics are ever going to win again, LOL. Maybe Anthony Lamb will have a good game tomorrow to make it watchable. Anthony Lamb isn't playing very much for the Houston Rockets right now. So, Lamb, let's let's look and see how many minutes Lamb is playing right now. But Lamb, you know, I'm not hearing much about him in the uh, Rockets lineup. And the Rockets are extremely bad right now. But as we look at Lamb here, he is currently averaging two and a half points a game. He's played only eight in eight games this season. Um, he got he has not played the last two games. Rockets played against Brooklyn and against Memphis. He didn't play in either one of them. Played seven minutes the game before against Minnesota and had one. He was one for three from the floor. So Anthony Lamb isn't playing a lot, has not played in one, two, three, four, five of the last seven games. And when he does play, he plays less than 10 minutes a night. So, look, I hope he plays against the Celtics tomorrow because it might make it uh, more watchable considering how bad they've been. We usually do who's saying what right now. We'll save that for the end of the show if we have time. But right now I want to bring on Todd Woodcroft. So on the other side of the break, UVM men's hockey went through a very tough year. On ice, off ice. Very tough year. What's next, though? For the Cats. How do they turn the page? How do they turn the corner? How do they grow? Catamount Hockey Coach Todd Woodcroft is with us next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Remember, full show today because no Red Sox baseball. Sox rained out against the Orioles. They'll do it all again tomorrow. Nathan Avaldi and John Means, the pitching matchup, and we'll have the coverage for you at 110 of the first pitch at 210. And here we are on opening day of Major League Baseball talking a little hockey, putting a bow on the UVM men's hockey season. A tough year both on and off the ice for the Catamounts under first-year head coach Todd Woodcroft. And Todd Woodcroft is joining us now. Todd, before we get to hockey, i got to ask you, opening day, are you a baseball guy when it's not hockey? I am a little bit. I guess my other sport I like to watch is football, but only CFL. That's the only real football out there. So, <laughs> Well, it's uh, it's a great day of the year, opening season of baseball, because it means the spring's here, it means the summer here, and and uh, I'm looking forward to getting some ballpark games. Absolutely, looking forward to uh, some summers filled with some fans, and that'll be a welcome sight for everybody after last baseball season. Um, let's recap your season a little bit. You guys, we know the record one ten and two overall, and a first round exit in the Hockey East playoffs. But your first year at UVM, what did you learn? Whether it's the game, the college sport, life, what did you learn? Well, I, I think I always had a, a really healthy respect for college hockey, of course. Um, what I did see was how difficult Hockey East is up close. I knew coming into this, you know, the history of Hockey East and, and how good the coaches are and, and the players. But inside the battles every day, we you know, we had 12, 12 regular season games and they were every one of them was a war. Every one of them was a, a real test for the players. And then obviously a playoff game as well against a great team like UMass Lowell. 
so I think one thing I did learn was that Hockey East is a really difficult uh, conference, and it's not going to get any easier. A couple of players that you coached have signed professional deals. Tristan Mullins just signed recently uh, to get a look in the AHL. And then guys that are cat amounts that you didn't coach, Stephanos Lekas, who's now playing in the AHL, Ross Colton, who just made his debut recently for the Tampa Bay Lightning. How much does that help set up your program as you talk about recruiting future cat amounts to see that kind of now continued pro opportunity? I, I think all those three players are a great example for the people coming into our program to understand it's, it's a reality. And then you throw in Bryce Misley as well, yeah. who signed a ATO with the Iowa Wild. And I certainly can't claim any ownership to any of those four, especially Ross Colton and Lekas. Like, uh, I don't even know those guys. And with, with Mullen uh, coming in from Cornell, where Mike Schaefer did a fantastic job influencing Tristan all his way up, we just gave him a place to play. And really, we got more from Tristan Mullen than Tristan Mullen probably got from us. And Bryce Misley, he's been under, you know, three years here before I got here. And, and Kevin Stead and his staff did a fantastic job uh, allowing this guy who came in as a young player. He was 18 years old or whatever when he came in here, similar to Dobar Tinling and Ray Vitolans. Yeah. He's playing in the American League and, and actually playing really well. I've checked in with the Wild people and they're really happy with Bryce. So for future Catamounts to come in and to see you have a chance to play somewhere. Uh, after you're done at UVM. I think that's a, a real good uh, statement on the program, the history, the tradition, and obviously there's dozens and dozens of other players that came before those guys. You know, the reason why I like following your program is because I see a lot of my own college career in your program. I, and maybe I've told you this, maybe I haven't, but I was on a college baseball team that went 1-17 in 17 in its own conference my junior year. We got a new coach my senior year, similar to UVM did, and we ended up 8-10 and 10 the very next year with all the same players. And then after I was gone, two years later, they're in the College World Series. Like, I saw the turnaround happen that quickly, and with you at the helm, I've believed that that kind of turnaround is possible for UVM. Why are you confident that you can have that kind of turnaround? Because, because I certainly am. Well, I don't know if confidence is the right word, uh, because I want our players to have confidence, of course, but I want our players to be uncomfortable. I want to be uncomfortable yeah. all the time. I, you know, I was brought in here to be the steward of this program and to kind of get this thing in the right direction. And our staff, uh, with with Jeff Hill and Steve Wheeler and Mark Stewart, Mike Babcock and Eric Ellens, we spent a full year now evaluating this program and identifying all the small aspects of this team that we need to get better. We've identified where we have to improve we've evaluated what we already have in place that we want to keep and those are kind of the flowers that we want to wire uh, water and then now it's about getting this entire group all the guys who are coming back all the new players in this group to excel and that's what drives all the actions we have as a coaching staff all our processes are driven by how do we get everybody here to be able to win in it and a successful product, a successful program, in my opinion, Brady is, it's really a product of the, the attitude from the coaches, the attitude from the players and getting the right people in place. And, and, you know, you talk about your, your baseball experience there. And, and I've found in my uh, experience that extraordinary results don't usually happen um, very easily. They're, They're not happenstance things. And, they always come from the choices you make as a coaching staff and the actions you take as a coaching staff. And then really it's on the players again. And it's all built sequentially over time, one decision at a time, one action at a time, one player at a time. So that's why 
I have confidence in this group going forward. I have so much respect for our coaching staff and the leadership from the athletic department. I think we're going in the right direction. Um, and sometimes that means you're going to have uh, some some messy yard when you're doing some landscaping at the beginning here. So we're, we're I think we're going in the right direction. Todd Woodcroft, UVM men's hockey coach with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV. You know, I'm drawn back on getting my own experience. You know, I knew going into that senior year of my baseball career, I knew that my team wasn't going to the College World Series. But I knew that I could help lay the groundwork for the next great Oswego State team. Um, and that was, you know, I took that seriously as a senior. You don't use the word buy-in. I know you don't like that phrase, so I'll kind of change that to culture building. Um, how important were the upperclassmen that maybe knew they weren't going to be part of the next great Catamount team, but how vital were they in setting the groundwork for that culture you're trying to establish? Oh, the, these guys were outstanding. Outstanding because they knew how difficult this year was going to be. They didn't understand, nobody did, the tribulations that we would get smacked in the face with every couple of weeks, you know, the four-week pauses. Yep and another four-week delay, and then a two-week delay, and then no opponent going into the playoffs. Like, nobody knew that. But and I, I think it's probably a different word to use here. They, they did it with grace. Yeah. They did it with humility. And they did it because they understood that they were the stewards of the jersey. So they knew that the next generation of Catamounts coming after them, they wanted to leave it as a better place than – when they just got here at the beginning of this year and through all the difficult times they had over the past six, seven months. So my, my respect for all those seniors is immense. Uh, and you don't get to say thank you very often. I've said thank you to every one of them um, individually. And even now I'd like to say it again, like they, they, they did this logo proud. They were so good. They cared about the young players, even at the expense sometime of their own ice time. So we had, multiple seniors who probably didn't get the ice they wanted to have, but I needed to get the younger players, the experience in the, in the playoff games. And, and the fact that they never gave up or we down four to one against UMass Lowell, we crawled back into that game. And then they watched UMass Lowell as they went on yeah. those guys down four to one. Then they came back and won one in overtime. Mm-hmm. And then they ended up being in the hockey's championship game. So those are all lessons. Even if they weren't against an opponent, we played, they got to watch them and see how hard it is to win, but that you're never really out of it. So we were never really out of it this year. I, I, there was one or two games I thought that we, were, we weren't in the game, but for most of the season I felt that we were in the game and we never gave up. And it's, it's almost funny to say it because we only played 12 regular season games, but this to me was our preseason for next year. The players are familiar with me and the staff. The staff is familiar with the players. Uh, our systems now are – pretty well known by the all the guys going forward it'll be the new guys coming in it's going to be incumbent on the returning players to teach them and to shepherd them along and and even some of the players coming in are older than the guys that are here yeah because we've been able to you know try to be active in the portal and get some players in there and and i think that the lineup next year is going to be a pretty good one for us going forward there's a lot of roster turnover. Uh, earlier this week, it was reported that uh, a bunch of the seniors who had the extra year of eligibility will not be coming back for whatever reason. They're not going to be back here next year. There are some other players that are transferring out. I've seen a lot of people transferring in and a lot of new recruits. You know, I'm on the recruit wires and I see this player from Sweden and that player from Canada and this player from out West. You're doing a whole lot of roster turnover here. And I understand that's important. So, uh, you know, um, I don't know, give me a little something to be excited about for eight months from now. Yeah, and I think with especially with the seniors, like if we could have all those guys back, we would because they were outstanding human beings and they were great players for us. 
we also know that the direction that we have to go, the ice time for them might be limited for the new players we want to have come in. So the new players we want to come in, we want to put them in stressful situations. We want them to be uncomfortable in games and how you get that, the currency I have is ice time. So uh, we've encouraged the seniors to find a place to play. We're going to try to help them get places to play. And I think already some of them have places to play next year. It's a strange year because so much of our recruiting was done by the time it was essentially allowed that players would be allowed to have an extra year. So we might've retained some of those seniors. Uh, you know, I never really thought, never really thought about having that game in my head about who we'd retain and not retain, but um, it's been a difficult year for those guys. And I think the way they've reacted to it has been great. They're all so excited about the new guys we have coming. So we've let them know a little bit about the players and the direction that we're going. And at the end of the day, in three, four years, they want to look back and, UVM hockey and see these guys having success. So again, that's a huge testament to the character of all those guys that are graduating. You know, God, if it's not you guys, I got to admit, I'm not paying that much attention. So I'm not watching a whole lot of the college NCAA tournament, but was it this past week and we had a five overtime game. I want to say it was North Dakota and somebody else. What kind of uh, physical conditioning do you need to coach a five overtime game? You need a lot of hydration and yeah. that's true. Like the, you know, you come in, uh, I've been in some overtime games and you come in not a five overtime game, but that's, that's eight periods of hockey. I mean, that's <laughs> crazy. So the, that's where the medical staff is so important, making sure that your body is right. Hopefully beforehand, you know, the players have managed their rest. Um, all the work that goes into those games, it's not just the eight periods that you're playing. It's the months and months of training in case you get to that situation. No one ever thinks about the referees and that's how hard it is on the refs for an eight game, yeah. you know, like for the scorekeepers, for maybe the ushers that are working there and they would have thought they'd be home by 11 o'clock and maybe they got to put kids to bed. There's so much that goes into it. But it, really, it's the contest between the two teams. And, and I was watching that game, and I'm not going to say that I stayed up for the whole thing because <laughs> Murder, She Wrote was on, and I like to watch that show before I go to bed. But they were, it, was, it was an amazing game, and, and you almost wish both teams could have gone forward. But that's why we play. You know, I'll get you out of here on this. You know, I frequently talk with Cam Ellsworth, the head coach at Norwich. And, uh, you know, he came from Hockey East at UMass Lowell. And I'll always try to pick his brain as it relates to you guys and UVM and Hockey East, et cetera. So I'll flip it on on its head. How well do you know Cam Ellsworth? And uh, what do you think of his program at the uh, Division Three ranks? I can tell you, I, I've been lucky enough to know Cam for a long time. Um, you know, him and Norm Bazin have been uh, yeah. connected for many, many, many years. And I've known Norm since 2003. And, I've uh, been able to spend some time with Cam and, and actually talk to Cam a couple of times this year, um, even just about Hockey East. We, we, he gave me some ideas about opponents. Uh, I picked his brain. I think Cam is a star coach. Like I think he's going to be in D1 as soon as he wants to be in D1. He's got a great program going right there and all the stuff they had to deal with this year and the scheduling stuff. I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And to see how he managed that and – Seeing the players he's put forward, it's, he's done a really, really good job. I got a high amount of respect for Cam Ellsworth. You know, just as a, a, a quick kind of segue off that, how good is high-level Division Three hockey? Because there, there is a Division Two, but it's very, very limited. But, you know, I have always gotten the impression that upper-tier D3 players could play at Division One. Am I right on that? No question. No question. Uh, those guys are very, very talented. It's just that there's only so many spots inside of D1 hockey roster, and whether it's scholarship dollars that are allocated, 
Um, it might be size of a player. It might be something like just a bit off on foot speed. For some reason, players are allocated into D3 or they just don't make a D1 program. But guess what? Those guys get better too. So yeah. over a two-year period, three-year period, those players are getting better. So I think you're going to start to see more D3 players playing inside of D1 rosters. And when you have coaching like Cam, for example, and so many good coaches in D3 hockey, and I've spent some time with them at uh, coaching conferences and clinics, and they're they're sharp, but there's only a certain number of jobs in D1, only a certain number of playing jobs in D1. There's a certain number of playing jobs in D3. So I know that there's D3 players that are capable in, of playing in D1. We've actually looked at some. So it's uh, it's going to be an interesting thing when you start to see players transferring all around. I think we're going to see players coming out of D3 as well. Well, I'm looking forward to the first day when I see an Oswego State Laker on the uh, UVM uh, roster someday, because that's where I went to school. We have a no, we have a no logos policy, uh, <laughs> UVM hockey, unless it's UVM hockey, but maybe I'll make an exception for that. <laughs> so there you go. It's Todd uh, Woodcroft, the head coach over at UVM men's hockey, his team, um, you know, not the record anybody wanted, but certainly moving forward in good hands. So Todd, we appreciate your time, your perspective, your transparency as always, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks a lot, Brady. Absolutely. Todd Woodcroft, one of my favorites. Um, great guy. Like the way he coaches, similar to Brad Stevens. You know, like I was saying earlier, I like coaches like this. Todd Woodcroft is not a yeller. Todd Woodcroft is a teacher. He is a process over outcome guy. He is a builder, and that resonates with me because so much of a program is about building and is about construction. It is not just about yelling instantly. Todd Woodcroft has been here a year now. He knew that this job was going to be tough. This team was not going from, you know, three wins to 23 wins in a, in the first year. It was never going to be like that. And Todd Woodcroft recognized that. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate the patience that he exhibits as a coach, the recruiting efforts that he has, the process over outcome mindset that he has. I think all of that's important. It all resonates with me. And that's the kind of coach that I would have liked to play for when I was playing college baseball. What we'll do is we will step aside and we will come back. The crew, unbelievable job. They've already got a cut from the Todd Woodcroft interview. So we will get you a Todd Woodcroft takeaway on the other side of this break right here on WDEV. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. Thank you, Field. Brady Farkas Show right here. Final segment on this Thursday, opening day, WDEV. Yankees lost, so that's a good that's a good, uh, good thought for me to end the day with. Yankees lose today. Three to two in extra innings. Yankees didn't have Araldis Chapman available, remember? They, uh, he suspended first two games of the season this year for role in an altercation last year at the end of the season with the Tampa Bay Rays. They also don't have Zach Britton, who's on the 60-day injured list, probably going to miss most of May. So the, the Yankees' bullpen, which I spoke about yesterday, is being a strength. It still is, but it won't be at full strength for uh, you know until Britton gets back towards the end of May. So full show podcast is on the Apple Podcasts and Spotify apps, so just on your smartphone, go and subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show there and get all of our interviews, including the one we just did with Todd Woodcroft. I do want to point this out. I asked Todd Woodcroft about his upperclassmen, his upperclassmen that were not going to be part of the next great team, and Todd Woodcroft showed an immense appreciation for them. They were the stewards of the jersey, so they knew that the next generation of Catamounts coming after them, they wanted to leave it as a better place than 
when they just got here at the beginning of this year and through all the difficult times they had over the past six, seven months. So my, my respect for all those seniors is immense. That means a lot to me, <clears throat> excuse me, because as I told Todd Woodcroft, I had a very similar experience. My, my junior year, my team was awful. We were one in 17 in the conference and my senior year, I knew we had almost the same players. We had a different coach. I knew we had potential. We were better than one in seventeen, but we weren't going to win the league or anything. We ended up going eight and ten, and in the league, you know, overall, I think we were probably fifteen and twenty or something. But I knew that I wasn't going to be a part of the next great team at my college. But I knew I could help lay the groundwork, and that meant a lot to me. And all I wanted was an acknowledgement from our coach that I still mattered because I knew I know I wasn't stupid. I knew that my new head coach was in there recruiting new players, working with the young players who were going to maybe be a part of the next great team. You know, the future mattered to him and I was the present and I probably didn't matter that much. And all I wanted was to matter. And, you know, he did an okay job of it. It made me feel, you know, made me feel wanted enough. And, and that's okay. I'm not mad at my coach. That's not what this is about. But the fact that Todd Woodcroft recognized that his seniors were sacrificing, okay? They were sacrificing ice time. They were sacrificing ego. They could have very easily, you know, maybe not this year because of COVID, but in normal years, those seniors, hey, we're not very good. I'm not playing a lot. I'm going to go booze it up. They could have very easily done that in a normal year, and they chose not to. And they chose to do the right things for the growth of the program and I commend them for that attitude because I was there. It's hard, but you want to feel like you're doing the right thing to move it forward. You want it to be worth your time and sacrifice and energy. So kudos to them, but also kudos to Todd Woodcroft for recognizing their importance because when you're a senior on a rebuilding program, all you want to do is feel wanted and that what you are doing will help the program move forward and you want that to be appreciated and Todd Woodcroft did that. And uh, when I hear coaches say that, that means a lot to me. All right, that will do it for us today. Dinner Jazz is coming up next. Here's the plan for tomorrow. Red Sox pregame show opening day kicks off at 1.10. So 1.10 with the pregame show, Evaldi against John Means. 2.10 first pitch. The game will happen. We will be on right after Red Sox postgame action. So the Red Sox radio network will do the postgame show. I'll come on with a recap. We'll have Ben Verlander on. Yes, Ben Verlander, Justin Verlander's brother is coming on the show tomorrow for our Friday Diamond discussion. I am very, very excited about that. So he will be with us. So tomorrow, Red Sox baseball, opening day, Ben Verlander. Go subscribe to the podcast, everybody. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV.